Hi, writers. My guest today, Elna, is someone I've been following since the very start of my freelance writing journey. So I'm super excited that I got her on the podcast today. Very similar to my story of getting started in my freelance business, it took Elna about six months to be earning a full-time income as a part-time freelance writer. And now she's helping thousands of writers find their first freelance writing job and make a full-time living. So Elna is a professional freelance writing coach and mentor, as well as one of the leading writing experts in helping you fine-tune your onboarding process, increase your value, and find a new career out of your writing. Something I'm excited to discuss with Elna today is managing a freelance writing business while also being a mom or caretaker. So if you're new here, I'm Christine. I teach writers how to build their freelance writing business from scratch by landing high paying clients on LinkedIn. And let's get right into the interview with Elna. Elna, thank you again for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm sorry. I just heard my twins. My twins are home right now running across the hallway. I'm like, oh, are they going to open the door right now and disrupt me? Cause that's, that's normal for me with my twins. I have twins and I've been doing this, you know, their whole lives practically, but thank you so much. This is exciting. I recently found your YouTube's channel and been watching and all the things that you're teaching about LinkedIn is really cool. I think there was one thing you mentioned and I immediately did. I'm like, oh, I have to do this thing that she told me. So you provide some really cool tips. I'm really excited about that. And just talking to your audience. I mean, this is nice to get to know other people and other writers um, in this community. Yes, I love it. And if the twins do run in, it'll be totally on brand for the conversation. So no worries <laughs> there. So take me back a little bit, Elna, your backstory, how you got into freelancing and why you chose this career path. It's something I'm always really interested in with guests is like what drove you toward freelance writing? Yes, my twins were probably around 15 months old, I'm, I'm thinking around that time when I actually decided to do freelance writing. Before that, I was thinking about maybe doing virtual assistants, uh, doing something online. I was home. I wanted to stay home and I needed to find a way to at least contribute to the finances. Before all of this, I was in the teaching. I was a special education teacher. I was in the school system. And I knew I didn't want to go back to that. And fortunately, you know, with my husband working online himself, he's a web developer. He naturally told me, well, why don't you do something like being a virtual assistant or doing some staff writing? So I didn't know any of this. It was completely new to me. He actually directed me to a couple of bloggers that were also writers. And so I was reading their blog posts and how they were getting writing jobs online. So I'm, I was thinking, wow, this is kind of interesting and virtual assistant stuff wasn't very interesting to me because, well, I'm not the greatest with managing my inbox. For example, I just opened my inbox and I have 50 new replies. I'm, I'm not, the, I'm not a type a person. I guess you have to be type a, to be sort of like that virtual assistant. I'm more the creative side. I guess I'm a type B person. So writing to me always was something that I gravitated towards, you know, in high school, I, I did poetry and I did creative writing. So it's always something along those lines that I'm interested in um, creating. So it just fit nicely that I found or lucked into freelance writing. It was something that was presented to me and I learned more about it. And here I am today. It's been what, six, seven years now. Yeah. Almost eight. Almost eight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. I agree with you about the virtual assistant. I don't feel like I'm the most detail oriented person. And I do feel like that's a very process heavy 
uh, type of job. You and I probably need the help of a virtual assistant with things that we're doing. So definitely, yeah. One of the most common questions I got because my audience was super excited that I was speaking to you was where to even start? What mindset tips can you give those who are just starting out, or maybe they're just flirting with the idea. They want to pursue a full-time freelance business, but they're just concerned about their first priority being a mom or a caretaker. Yeah. I mean, for me, what, what I found was I was excited for starting something new. You know, I was a stay-at-home mom. So I was taking care of my twins. I had my mother-in-law help me. My husband was home. Everyone was home. (laughs) And so I was fortunate to get that child respite stuff. So my, my mother-in-law would take the twins out for a walk and the stroller for a couple hours. And then I'd put them down for a nap. So I had a lot of time to myself and, you know, I was, I guess I don't consider myself my, a super mom, but I had everything ready. Like I had all their bottles ready. I had everything washed. I had every, and then nothing for me. Like I was just sitting there with really nothing to do. And I found what there was pockets of time in my day that I wanted to do something that was not all baby stuff. I love my, my babies at the time, but that's all I was talking about. You know, the twins and their diaper schedule and their feeding schedule and their napping schedule. That's, that was the conversation. And for me, I needed more than that. I needed more stimulation, I guess. So I found just finding something, whether it could be a creative hobby, it could be gardening, it could be knitting, or it could be something business oriented. For me, it was learning about online writing, content marketing. Those are the things that really got me excited. And I found that I was a better mom because of that, because I was happy during the day. I could be present with my twins doing, going to the park and feeding them and having fun like that. And then at nap, when they went to nap or when they went down for the night, then I could do my things. And I found that was a really nice balance, you know, with, it also depends, you know, for, as far as the mindset, I, I would not have done freelance writing if my twins were newborns (laughs) in the first year, there would have been no way I could have done freelance writing in the the first 12 months. There are moms out there that, that are doing that. And I'm so jealous. And I'm like, wow, they are doing an amazing job, but that's something that I couldn't have done. You know, I mean, I had the twins and that first year was, I was like a zombie. So <laughs> there was no way I could really focus on something else. It was just a whole twin, my twin universe kind of thing. So, you know, as far as the mindset, it, I think it's just allowing yourself that there's more to life than being a mom. You don't have to identify yourself as a mom. You can be a mom with a business or a mom with something else. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times when you do become a mom, people just identify you as that. And for me, I didn't want that. I guess I wanted to be more than just that. And this is a little bit off topic, but I'm in a nutrition coaching program right now. And the coach who leads it gave us this eight spheres of life exercise and the dieting and the eating and the exercise, that's one sliver of life. And then there's your spiritual life, your family life, your friendships, your hobbies. So just reminded me as you were speaking that we sometimes can get consumed with one area And that segues very nicely into the next question, which is the guilt. Because for me, I know I get too focused on work and I know I need to devote more time to, you know, other spheres of my life. But I think for moms, particularly and caretakers, maybe people who are taking care of elderly, there is a guilt or a shame that comes with saying what you just said, which is this isn't 
all I want to be. I do want more. So what would you say to moms who have the urge for more, but they feel that guilt? Yeah. I mean, guilt is a huge thing. I think with moms for me in particular too, I, I knew that if I let work creep in during my playtime with my twins, that if I was constantly thinking about a blog post idea or constantly thinking about pitching to this brand or that, I knew if that, if I slipped into that, I really had to stop myself because I didn't want to have that guilt. I didn't want to be just my body there sitting down playing tea time, but not engaging with my twins. So you have to make it a conscious effort in the beginning, because I don't know about other people, but for me, I was extremely excited about this new opportunity. And so I had to reel myself in and be okay. You know, I am going to play Play-Doh with my twins and we're going to really just do some hardcore stuff. (laughs) Like, you know, we're going to be building and we're going to have lots of fun. You know, I really had to get myself all hyped up. This is what we're going to be doing. And for me, the guilt only crept in is if I was consciously thinking about business when I knew I shouldn't be. People are fortunate when they go to work, they can leave work behind, right? And they come home. I need to do that because I work from home. I need to leave, you know, I'm in my office. So I think that's a big help for me is if I have a designated space, I can leave as soon as I leave the the door and I go downstairs, I am in mom mode. You know, when I come upstairs to my office, I'm in work mode. And so I really need those dichotomy kind of situating myself to have and allow myself to have that time and not feel guilty. My twins know after all these years that if my doors close, hopefully they won't bother me, but I'm not going to yell at them if they come in, you know, it just, that's life. You have to be aware of that. There might be times where you're stressed out because of a deadline. And I know for me, when I get stressed out, I I get very agitated. So of course there's going to be times where, you know, I might yell at my twins for, Hey, I'm really busy here. You need to knock on the door for me. You know, But I try, I think over the years, I've really worked on that. And I think I've created a nice balance where I don't feel guilty anymore. They know I have my work time and I make it a conscious effort to have my workday end at like two, two 30 or something. So I work from nine to two every day. And then I'm downstairs for the rest of the day. I can do something like that. And I've created the schedule so that that happens. I love that. I see how you've communicated with your twins, but something that my audience really wanted to know was communicating with clients when those emergencies come up. I think we're moving toward a world where, especially with the blends of remote work and this hybrid work, I think it's okay if you have screaming kids in the background, it's okay. But I I do think this is still a concern, especially those who are taking care of elderly. What if I can't make a deadline? I have a sick parent or, or baby And I need to be called away at a moment's notice. And they're terrified of what, and I would be too, because you want to present a professional front to your clients and make them think you're reliable. So what would you say to people who have those concerns? I can see that as a valid concern, but honestly, Christine, I, I only worked when my twins were napping. If they were sick, I said, I was in mom mode for that day and I made sure that my deadlines did not run my business. I made my own deadlines. I decided when to, to be done with my client work a week before it was due. I had to set up those parameters as a mom so that I could calculate risks between the week that I was done with a, a, a client piece and turning it in that there might be an emergency happening. You know, I think I've done a good job with the clients that I've had. Actually, a lot of them don't give me deadlines because they know that I'm sort of in this fear of writing the long-form content and 
conversion copywriting content that they know that it takes time. So they don't put pressure on me to get it done in two weeks or get it done in the month. You know, I might have a, I have a client that does it quarterly, like get it done this quarter. You know, that's great. I love those clients and I've been working with those types of clients. So, you know, if you have a client that is a stickler for deadlines, a stickler for words, you know, I wouldn't work with them. I would com- complete my piece and move on because I want to find clients that value my time, that understand my time. I don't tell my clients that I'm a mom, but they must assume that I am from whatever looking me up, but I don't make the conversation that I'm a mom anywhere in my, in my conversation with clients, unless they become more friendly. I do have a long-term client where every email I say, you know, how are things going in England? My twins are going to be starting school next week. It's really crazy here, you know, because I've developed that relationship with that one client, but I'm not going to do that with any new client that I've picked up or certain other clients that I have. But yeah, I think it's just, I wouldn't, I would be careful not to put yourself in that position where you have a deadline and you haven't done your work within a time frame. Give yourself a week, especially if you're a mom, give yourself a long buffer before anything is due. That's, that's, that's my suggestion that it's always worked for me. Yeah. And I love that because when you're just starting out in freelance writing and you don't have a mentor, what you just said freelancers don't have access to the information. I could imagine a lot of freelancers right now are saying, wait, I didn't even know that that's something I could look for in a client is a client that assigns me quarterly work up front. Cause I know for me, Elna, I started working with agencies a little bit in the beginning. I had agency clients instead of working directly for the client. And they were like, same day turnaround, go, go. And I was just like, oh, this is how it is. But it turned out that they were just really difficult and they weren't great, you know, people to work for, but I had to go through that and and blame myself and beat myself up. So I want all writers who are listening to know, Hey, there is a client out there that's going to be reasonable and is going to actually put the effort in to be a good client for you. I think that's the big reframe is that we think we have to be perfect for clients I hire freelance writers now, and I know that my top priority, maybe it's because I was a freelance writer, but my top priority is having those good relationships and keeping the writer on. And writers don't realize that, that if you're doing a good job, they should be going out of their way to keep you happy and maintain that relationship. Oh, I have two ghostwriters for me because I I don't only have my site, elnacane.com. I have multiple other sites with other writers that are writing the content for me. And I value the writers that I hire. Not all of them are core students of mine. I I find a blogger that's a really engaging writer. Honestly, when I go online and read blog posts, if it doesn't hook me, then there's no point in me reading it. So when I find content that hooks me and I find the writer, I'm going to reach out to them. And I had this one writer who uh, pitched their rate and it was such a low rate. I'm like, I'm going to start you here (laughs) because you're worth it. And then over the time, every year I give her a raise because for her, I'm trying to tell her, be confident in your, in asking me, I, I want you to, I'm not necessarily mentoring her, but I want her to feel confident that her writing is valuable, you know, and I'm, I'm giving her screenshots of it ranking in Google or things like that for her to command higher rates with other clients. Cause she, I think she's in the same boat with you with doing Mark agency work. And so, you know, I've never worked with an agency, but I know other people have I, a lot of course students are also on Upwork, which I never, never even talk about Upwork. I have no idea why they're on Upwork, but whatever it's whatever they can find clients and whatever they want to do. I'm not, you know, a stick. You have to do this and you have to do this. You know, 
my teaching is a variety of methods. I don't stick to one thing and I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I think if you can find work in different avenues, I'm going off topic now, but if you can find work in different avenues, I mean, that's the best deal for you. So then you know where to find work and you're never looking for work. But as far as telling yourself, yeah, you can find clients that meet your standards, you know, in the beginning, that may not happen in the beginning, get work, get experience, learn negotiating, learn your value, learn to not be afraid to raise your rate. These are things that are all learning things in the first year. I think in the first year, even two years, you know, it took me, what was it? Two or three years to offer long form writing, like three years of me writing on my own blog and learning about it, that I can offer long form writing or SEO writing to clients. It's just recently that I did SEO writing, offering that service because I had to learn how to do that for my own sites. I had to learn about SEO on my own to feel confident. And that, I mean, that you're going to be learning. And then once you learn those skills, you can command higher rates and get better clients. I love that. And I love what you said about recommending that a writer ask for a little bit more because in a selfish way, it's almost like we do it for ourselves so that the market itself, you know, these clients, once they hear a really low rate, then they're going to expect the next writer to write for a really low rate. So that's why I always harp on this, raise your rates and and look at what industry standards are and try to get yourself up there because it will change the expectation of clients as a whole. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. What advice would you give freelancers about time management and how to schedule their day to make this work? Because there's a lot of questions I got about juggling the housework, everything, and actually some questions about outsourcing too. So I know you've spoken a little bit about how you schedule your day, but can you take a deeper dive into that? Sure. My schedules have changed throughout the years. You know, when I own, when my twins were still napping, the glorious days when they were napping, they napped twice a day for like three hours at a time. It was just beautiful. I had all this free time to work with clients and to build my business basically. So I only worked when they napped basically. So that was like four hours a day. I had four hours on an uninterrupted time to work on my business. But if you don't have that, you can still grow your business with one hour a day. If you only have one hour in the morning to work on your business, then, you know, make that time super optimized for uh, what you need the most. And if you have no clients, your whole hour is outreach and pitching. That's all you have to do until you get a client. Once you have a client, your schedule changes to now writing for that client, but still trying to get another client. You're managing your time in a way where you have to focus on your highest I guess, ROI tasks, what, what's going to bring you the clients, what's going to bring you the money. And you can do that in an hour a day. It's going to take you longer and you can only maybe only work with one client. That's fine. I mean, I don't think I've worked more than in a, in a set period of time. I'm trying to think I've only worked with probably three clients at the most. And one of them was an, an ad hoc client whenever he needed content. So I never pushed, sorry, I have a, an alarm. I never pushed myself to work with multiple clients, but you, and because also my rates too, I had enough income coming in with my three clients that I didn't have to, but I, I realized with some writers that you, you have to have more than three clients. You might need up to five clients. I realized that make sure you have room in your schedule to accommodate that. If you don't, I mean, if you get a new person coming in asking for, can you do this? you know, I don't know what's, I don't do social media writing, but if they said I need 50 social media posts, like 
holy shit, I don't have that time, but I still want to work with this client. Offer something else. I can get you uh, 15 highly optimized social media posts in that time frame. You know, negotiate if you really want to work with that client and so that it fits your time. It's going to be a while. For me, I'm not the best at managing my time, but I know that I if I work when they're sleeping, if I, when they, when they went to school, when they started going to school, they're not in school right now, they're doing online school, but they're going to go to school next week. So that's going to be a new schedule, but they do online school, but they do it downstairs. So again, I come upstairs to do my work when they're in online school and I only get the time that they're in school and I don't work during the day. I, so I stop at the two 30 cause they're out of school. And then when they go to bed, they're going to bed later now, but around eight or nine, I might work for just another hour and then that's it. You know, so I, <sighs> I try not to let my work fill my day, I guess. I don't want it to. The reason why we became freelancers and wanting to work from home is to set our own schedule. I want to have that daytime to go do stuff and to do some baking or whatever I need to do. You know, I I don't want to be working during that time. Yeah, that is the best thing about freelancing is being able to work your schedule around what you want to do and then fit the work around that versus every other job out there where you need to schedule your whole life around the work, right? You know, it's interesting that you said you constantly change your schedule and you're not perfect at managing your time. I think there's this impression that to make this work, you need to get on some some militant schedule and it's okay if it's messy, it's okay if you have to change. And one of the questions that I saw in a Facebook group for you was like, what do you do when your child goes from this age to toddler, I forget exactly what they said, but it was something about the age progression, but what you said makes sense. They're going to have different needs. They're going to have a different schedule. Therefore your schedule is going to mold to that. And there's this need to pivot. Yeah. I mean, when my twins lost their naps, it was like a unicorn died that day. I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do with my business? I expected to have like a four hour workday. And now it's dropped down to a two hour workday. I had to learn how to readjust. You know, I, I guess selfishly made them go to bed just a little bit earlier so that I can work just a little bit. Those are little things that I did. You know, they were happy to go to bed at like six o'clock at night. And so I had a couple of hours, you know, they were little, they were little, but they, they dropped their nap. So of course they had to go to bed earlier in my head. That's what I was thinking, but it's just things like that. And sure. Your kid may not be an avid napper. Like my twins were, I understand that. And work in the evening, work in the morning. There are writers that I've known that work earlier before they have their, their real job. So they'll get up at five and work for a couple hours before they have to head to work or go to the gym or whatever at seven. That's great for them. I can't do that, but I can work in the evening. So do what works, you know, fit that, that schedule and, and, and adapt when your children are growing up, losing their naps, they're learning to walk potty training, all these things that come up. I mean, as long as you have that night, as long as I go to bed at night, work, <laughs> you know, and if you have to work Saturday morning, then do it. I try not to work on the, on the weekends. Cause of course it's family time. But if I have that uh, deadline that, you know, my internal deadline, I need to get that, that client piece. I'm going to have to work on it on Saturday morning. I have to work on it, you know, at nighttime kind of thing, then do it. You know, it's, it's your schedule. So do what works. You mentioned in the beginning, how you need to just work for some more clients. And then eventually you can consolidate your client load. And I always tell my students too, that's the goal to work for less clients for more money. And it's why I recommend choosing a niche. And I want you to talk a little bit about choosing a niche because this is so controversial in the freelance writing 
mentoring community, a lot of freelance writers say that there's no reason to choose a niche. And I understand the reasoning because you say, okay, you should open yourself up to everything that comes your way. But I believe my ability to go from no writing experience to full-time freelance is because I chose my niche and built that expertise. And I could see that being a, a time saver for people who do need to switch from client to client. What are your thoughts on niching? I think it's a, a money grabber. You can make more money if you have a, a, I call it a niche, but a niche. I mean, I tell my students in the beginning, if you don't know what to write about, pick three different topics you like and see the clients in those topics, in those industries. So some of the, my students are like, well, what about book reviews? I don't know. Go and see if there are businesses that's like sell book reviews. I mean, it, for me, it doesn't even No, of course not. You can't make money, but I've seen people who can make money with book review writing. For me, the longest time I thought you can't make money as a fiction writer. Now I'm finding you can totally make money as a fiction writer. It's, it's, it's opening the doors to all those things, but in the beginning, pick I three, and then you will find which niche, which niche will, will give you clients and the ones that you like. So in the beginning, I chose, I don't remember any name. I chose parenting and, and natural health and something else. I don't even remember what I psychology of all things or something. Cause I have a background in psychology. So I thought I could maybe find some clients in the psychology niche, which was really hard, but I actually did a couple years later, but so I picked those and I ended up getting um, it sucked into marketing. I was like, wow, I need to market my website. How do I do that? I go and search marketing tactics online. Oh, I figured out it's called digital marketing. Oh, it's content marketing. Oh, you have to, these are the ways to market your business. I fell in love learning about a new topic. So what did I do? I just it and I landed clients in that, in that industry. I don't know if it was lucked out or not, or if I lucked out into it, they were approaching me, but I must've put it on my like LinkedIn profile that I was like digital marketing, right? I must've done something to show people that I was into digital marketing, but I would also put in my, in my hire me page that I, I, I also do parenting topic. Like I put there, I also do parenting. I also market myself as an ebook cover designer. I really was trying to see what was working for me. And I think that's okay. I often say your niche will reveal itself to you. The more you sort of get into whatever topic it'll reveal itself to you. And then, and then clients will start, you'll start attack, attracting the right clients. I don't know. It just seems to happen to me. And a lot of my students, that's what ended up happening, but I guess sometimes you can pick wrong, but then you can pivot. Why not pivot? Yeah. It, what you were saying before with the types of niches you chose in the beginning, psychology, parenting, and kind natural of like health, natural health. Those are all the niches that writers come into my course. <laughs> Love that. And I see why, because how much fun is it to write on those topics when you're interested in them? And I like what you said with you gravitated towards digital marketing because there's such a need for it. And I think that's kind of the approach I took with mine because I am not a techie type person. There's so many people who just nerd out on that stuff, but I had a background in sales and selling software specifically. So I said to myself, well, I've used a CRM. I've seen the process of my company implementing CRM. I know how annoying it is to update a CRM. So maybe I'd be able to write for that audience. So I chose a not fun niche that I knew was really profitable. And I do recommend that approach for people who are starting from scratch and want to 
start making a full-time income because I think the more fun niches can be a little bit harder to break into. I think there's a lot of competition. I don't want to deter anyone <laughs> from starting it, but digital marketing and things that are a little bit more complex, maybe can be a little bit dry. There's more opportunity there. And if you can make it fun, then you're a great writer. Yeah. I mean, the technical IT, all those types of niches where it's not fun, but if like you said, if you can make it fun for the client and clients want that, they don't want, you can sometimes tell when you go to a, a blog of a business and the client is writing it dry and I don't know, they, they know their own product, so they don't know how to explain it well in, in a blog post. So, you know, those are the clients that you, that will hire a writer because they, they know that a writer can make it more conversational. I think the biggest thing with any niche is, is to learn those writing skills of online writing, like conversational writing, not necessarily dumbing down your writing, but realizing that I think the quote is like uh, between like a fourth and eighth grade level type of writing, making it so that it's super easy to read. And I think I lucked into that. I don't know. People say to write how you speak, but I don't write how I speak because I think I, I speak different. I use a lot of likes and <laughs> I don't do that when I write, but well, I don't know. Maybe it's just my brain and how I write things. I never really took a writing class. I never really did any of that stuff. I just wrote and read. And I think having your own blog helps too. Help helps you with your under your your niche specialization. You can write about it on your on your side. I did that. I I wrote, but I did it for a different audience. So I think one of the questions I get is, well, if I pick health, can I write it on my blog and for my clients? And I was like, well you're going to get burnt out. You're going to be writing about the same things. You might get burnt out, but try a different audience. Cause that might work. So for me, I write, I write about Pinterest marketing for like Etsy store owners, Etsy store owners for my clients, but I'll write about Pinterest marketing for mom bloggers, or I'll write about Pinterest marketing for freelancers. It's slightly different. And I'm not going to get burnt out talking about Pinterest marketing, about content marketing, about SEO, things like that, that I would write for clients on my own sites because it's for a different audience. So I think if you want to know your niche inside and out, do write about it frequently. It's my suggestion. I love what you said about going on a company's website and being able to tell that the, the client themselves wrote it. The big misconception and the big fear that a lot of freelancers have when they're starting out is, well, do I know enough about this niche, about this industry to be able to write? And something I say, I'm curious to know if you agree, but being the outsider, being the unbiased person who does not know the product, this is especially true for, for technology and SaaS. But if you don't know every feature of the product and you're not super ingrained in the jargon, it actually helps you as a writer to speak in that more simple language. Because if you as a writer can say, oh, they want me to talk about this, but the way that this is said, I can't really understand it. Well, you're empathizing with the audience because they might not understand it either. I mean, it all depends who you're writing for, but I think being a step removed from the company's product, but just understanding the audience is your biggest asset. And you don't need to be insecure about being this super expert. Yeah. I mean, I do agree to that to a, a certain extent. I know for me, if I, if I don't know too much about the product, I do have to do some research. So, you know, for example, if I was, if Ahrefs hired me for writing on their blog, 
I'm only going to apply to a job for them. If I have been using Ahrefs for the past couple of years, I feel confident because I, I know the tool for me. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know the tool inside and out. I really don't know how businesses, real businesses with the team would use Ahrefs, but I know how to use it as a solopreneur. I know how to use it as a freelancer. I know how to use it as a, a solar business person. So my, my view would be different if that's what Ahrefs wanted on their blog. If they want to speak to other uh, solopreneurs and freelancers, then then my content would speak to them and they would hire me for that. But if they want a writer that, that knows about small businesses and, and a team of marketers and all that, then they're going to hire that writer, right? I try not to do or be what I'm not, <laughs> you know? So with the client and understanding their product, it's to a, to a point. I write posts about a roundup of the, the different editing tools you would see online. Well, I need to know some of them at least because again, for a time management, especially for me, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna spend 10 hours writing this blog post because I spend seven hours learning the, the tool. Like I need to know how to use Canva. I need to, on my own time, learn PicMonkey, learn, I don't even know, all the other editing tools out there. I need to know that. So I think it's funny. I sort of, when I, when I talk about this, I think of doctors, you know, when you go see a doctor and they're overweight and they're like, you need to eat less. I'm like, really? But you're not showing me, you're not showing me <laughs> or some, or a doctor who smokes. I don't know. I just find it so funny. So if you're a writer in the digital marketing niche, you need to know your stuff. You need to have an email list. You need to develop online products. You need to do all these things. If you're an SEO writer, your blog better be ranking in Google. These are things that I feel because I have that already over the years that I am attracting a bigger, bigger clients and bigger brands, because I'm well-versed in sort of that, that's that industry. Now, a recent client hired me and I have no idea what they do. My husband tried to explain it to me and I still don't know what it is, but they're hiring me for SEO writing for a one product. So, you know, I'll see what happens. They haven't given me the, the topic yet because it's for the second quarter, but I still took on that client, even though like you said, I'm not well-versed in their, in their product products. My husband is, he said he has a subscription for one of their things. So he's aware of it. So I can always rely on him if, if I need a little bit of help, but I'm still excited to work for that client. They obviously found me. So, I mean, they, they have enough, I guess, confidence that I could do what they want kind of thing. So I'm going to step up to the plate and, and do my best. <laughs> I love that. And I love what you said about creating your own stuff, because I know for me, my clients were not usually sharing with me results. So I would write a blog post or an email campaign and I, I would get a good job and I, they'd give me more work. So I knew I was doing something right, but they were never letting me in into those internal conversations when they talk about the results. So for me, when I started paidcopywriter.com and actually started, started using my own email marketing software where I could measure click-through rates, measure open rates, that's when things started to really click for me and I understood more what I was doing for my clients. So I think that's great advice for writers is to walk the talk in that sense. I mean, if it's not a requirement but it's helpful, you know, now because of that on my LinkedIn profile, I put something like with real world experience. So they know that I'm a digital marketer with real world experience because I have these things, but I didn't put that on for, for the first couple years of a write as being a writer in that, in that niche, I, I needed to have a little bit more proof in my own world to understand for me, if this is 
if I, if I market that, that it it's true. And so only within recently that I decided to do something like that, to really market the aspect that, that I have this, these credentials. And what's so funny is there's clients that want that thought leadership content that want something from that expert. And so I'm now being approached to write about my own story for clients, which is kind of interesting. So it just all comes full circle, I guess, for me. I love that. I mean, that's such an honor to be approached. That's the most fun writing project you can do. This is something I didn't preempt you ahead of time, but I do want to talk about SEO. So writers ask me, okay, are freelance writers expected to know SEO? This is something I struggled with too. Can you talk us through what the expectations are and what your journey was in learning that and getting to the point where you're confidently marketing yourself as an SEO writer? I honestly, I don't think every writer needs to know SEO because it's all based on your, your niche. You know, my, the last content piece that I wrote had no SEO to it. I, I wrote it just as the information to write it almost not like a journalist, but I just wrote the piece. The client had no expectation for ranking or SEO or things like that. And they're a huge brand because their brand isn't focused on ranking, even though they naturally rank brands, big brands, they naturally rank because they have a huge website and they have a huge domain authority. So they know that. So they don't need writers to highly optimize their content. I've only had one client. Yeah. I think one client I'm thinking that, that had keywords and related keywords in mind. They gave me a huge sheet of a main keyword and a hundred different related keywords that they wanted for me to put in my content. That was the only time. And it was like not a huge brand, but a well-known brand in digital marketing. And that was the only client, but all my other clients like Optin Monster, never asked me, never asked me because they either have in-house writers that do it for them already, or they're already ranking for whatever their industry term is, email marketing, whatever, if that's what they're ranking for, for Optin Monster or Optin Forms or whatever they, that's their service. But you know what I mean? So if you're a pet writer or a health writer, you might come, you know, with some clients that want an SEO writer for their pet food company. Yes. Well, then in that case, I, I mean, you need to understand the basics of SEO and what it is. I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a tough question for me because I already know it. So, but I get clients that don't always ask me for it. So it's not necessary, but I do know for those small businesses, I guess, small businesses that, that need to be on Google and rank, they, they would probably prefer a pet writer or whatever niche writer they are with some SEO experience. There has been some talk in my, in my Facebook group about learning SEO and SEO tools. So, you know, become familiar with the free SEO tools and, and be aware, I guess, of the SEO concept, I guess, of what it is, how to optimize your content. I, I honestly don't think it's a necessary thing for many writers, I, I, but I could be wrong. I, things could be changing. Things are changing all the time. There's so many new things that are happening, but yeah. So it could be the year where it's all SEO and this is where it's going to flourish. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm, I fall into that category of knowing basic general SEO. I stay up on the trends. I listen to Neil Patel on YouTube and he's always giving the updates and SEO, unfortunately, it is something that's constantly evolving. It used to be something where you stuffed keywords into an article and it, the search engine didn't care about the quality of the article, but now the search engine has gotten smarter and knows 
to rank quality content and they want to know did that person have to click back into their original search to pull up another article or did they get everything they needed from this one article so i'm one of those people who i i know general seo but if it was my job to pull up that keyword research tool and say, this is exactly how we're going to write this post and structure this post. I don't feel super confident with that. I, the more you talk about this, the more it makes me think, yeah, there are, it's almost better because Google is smart enough to not really know much about SEO and to really not know what the keyword you're the client wants you to write about. I honestly think for clients and businesses that really know about SEO, they're going to hire an SEO agency let them do the, the, the back end, the um, underpinnings of SEO, you know, the meta descriptions, site speed, all that stuff. That's what's going to help. But the content as far as, well, I want to rank for, I don't know, teeth brushing for babies or something. Well, then give the, the writer the name of the blog post and let them write it because they're naturally going to write about that topic. They're naturally going to say that topic. They're going to say it in a different way, probably too. Because as a writer, you don't want to be redundant and say the same thing over and over again. You want to bury your sentence structures. You want to bury the what you say. So I think it's almost better. And I think that's why I've only had one client out of all the clients I've worked, worked for that had given me an actual S, uh, SEO keyword. But all my other clients, I even worked for an allergy kit company. They never gave me SEO content, but they were doing well in Google. So it's just, I think it's even better to, yeah, have an understanding, but don't worry, don't worry about it. Cause in the end it's Google knows what you're it's so it's getting so smart that it knows that if you're writing about babies, brushing your baby's teeth, that that's what the post is about. Yeah. I like that you brought up all the other factors though, because as writers, there's actually only so much we have control over keywords are one aspect of many. There is, like you said, the site speed, uh, there's the user experience, there's backlinking, all of these things that as a freelance writer, you don't have control over. So I would say that I agree with you where it's probably becoming less and less important, but I also want writers to know that it's okay to not, because sometimes you're on a call with a client and they say, oh, would you do keyword research? And you feel obligated or you feel like you're not an expert or you're not professional unless you can say you've done that. So I don't want writers to feel insecure in that sense. Well, you just brought up something else too. I only do writing. I will not be the content strategist for the company. I will not do the keyword analysis for the company. I mean, I, I, I have the tools to do it, but it's not my job. My job is to deliver content for them. If they want it keyworded and optimized, I can do that for them. Just give me the keyword then if you want that, or you know, on my own, I might, I recently submitted a guest post and I decided to find a keyword for that guest post. And the guest poster person was very happy about that, you know, because I did an extra little thing for them. Those are the things, but I see so many, uh, writers now that are just, they're a writer and a content strategist and a holy moly, a content strategist is its own job by itself. It's a huge job. You know, I didn't come to be a freelance writer to have a full-time job with this one company doing content strategy for them for the next two years. That's a full-time job right there. For me, I'm just a writer. And because of that, maybe I can work with different brands. I can work with different companies. That's what I like. I like writing. So I, that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to do the writing and maybe I'll improve my writing skill. I will find different things to write about, different uh, content types to write about, because that's what I want to do to elevate my writing and to increase my skills so that I can ask for more. For me, I can have a higher rate now because I have all this behind me. I've learned all these things.
right? But I don't want to market myself as SEO analysis and writer. Why? I could focus on one thing and become really good at that, you know? Yeah. Don't try to be all the things. I, I a hundred percent agree with that. Can I ask you if you're comfortable sharing, you said you have multiple sites. Yes. <laughs> Could you let us behind the curtain in a sense of your income streams? Because I think this is something myself for sure. And the audience is very curious about because there's so many ways to make money online and writing is just one of them. Yes, but it's the, it's the basic block of all the stuff you do online is writing, right? So I have my Elna Kane site and my twinsmommy.com site. Those are my two main businesses. So twinsmommy.com is for mom bloggers. I end up writing digital marketing content, social media, a lot of Instagram stuff and social media marketing tactics and how to create products and things on email marketing. Anyways, that's all for mom bloggers. And then my Elna Kane site is for freelancers. But I have these niche sites. Oh, I have two contributor sites. I have freelancer FAQs. So that's freelancing topics where writers can come and guest post. And I have imperfectlyperfectmama.com, which is a guest posting for mom bloggers. So I have those two contributing sites. And then I have Smart Mom Ideas, which is a parenting and pregnancy site. So I have content about my, my journey as a mom on there but I hire writers to write the content because I, I don't really enjoy writing. I honestly don't enjoy writing a lot of parenting content personally. I mean, I live it so much, so I don't know. I just don't want to write about it. So I have writers to do that. And then I just started a new site. It's brand new, so I won't share it, but it's, it's brand new. And then I have a lifestyle site, but it's just sitting there. So it's just those main sites, which is twins, mommy and Elna Kane that I really focus my, my energy as far as income, the other sites I put ads on. So once they reach a certain amount of page views, you can go into like something like Mediavine, which is an ad agency. There's other ones that you don't need as many page views, but it's all based on impression clicking. So get people to the site and you'll start making uh, money based on the impressions. And so I do a lot of marketing on Pinterest and a little bit on SEO now to get those clicks, to get those people to those sites to make money. As far as income, it fluctuates. I do Amazon marketing. I don't make a lot of money on Amazon. I think I make like $200 a month on Amazon marketing for some reason. It's a low commission. So you recommend products, Amazon products, and you put, you have a special link. People click on it and you get a kickback, a, a small commission. And I think it's like two or 3% now. So I have that on the site. So affiliate marketing, it's called. I have ads on those sites and together those, most of the sites make, I'd say under 5,000 a month total. My twins, mommy makes more. I have ads on that site. So that makes a little bit more. And I have a course on that site. I don't have a lot of products on twins, mommy. I find the the mom blog niche very hard to really make headway. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I get a lot of, um, what's it called? Imposter syndrome. I don't know why, but I get in that, that whole industry and that whole niche, I, I find it really hard to really stand out. There's so many voices, so many voices, but anyway, so I don't make, I honestly don't know how much I make per month on that site. Um, my, cause my main focus is on my freelancing site. My freelancing site makes the mo- most money. So with the, the affiliates that I have, I have job boards that I'm affiliate for, web hosting that I'm affiliate for. And then I have several products that, that I created. So I do make a healthy every year of six figures on all that. So, oh my gosh, major, major goal. <laughs> yeah. You- I mean, 
I still, it's fun and everything, but I, I still want to do more. I still want to do more. Money is not really a big motivator for me, although it's really nice. People say I should price my products. I don't know. $800 or something like that's ridiculous. I don't know. I feel like because it's, I'm, I'm starting a business for these people. So it's worth like a thousand dollars, but I sell it for like one ninety five. I don't know. I'm happy with that. You know, I, I feel for me, it's not, it's not the money. I see so many other, I follow this other marketer and I was so excited for her program and it comes down. It's like $2,000. I'm like, are you serious? I don't know. I just find it just amazing how these people, and I guess they get some clients or get some students from that, but I don't know. For me, I, I want to have products available for everyone. I mean, I don't, I think that might be a wrong strategy. People are like niche down to something and one, one audience, but honestly, Christine, I get, I'm getting emails from high school students that want to get into this. I have tons of emails from elderly people that are in their seventies emailing me. I just got one from some guy who's 70. That's interested. I'm getting people of all different ages of all different types of people. So I want it to be available, my products to be available for them. Maybe I could make more if I charged more. I have no idea. <laughs> I think you have the right instinct because like you said, people who are just starting out, if they are in high school or if they are maybe transitioning, they're not going to be able to afford a $2,000 course. But what I will say for charging a lot for the course is that I do think people take things more seriously and they invest themselves more when there's more skin in the game. That so makes sense, yeah. Yes, I know for me, I've, I actually did take a $2,000 course <laughs> in the past year. And well, I've uh, taken, me too. I've taken, but it's a Facebook ads course. Of course, I'm going to pay over $1,000 for that because I know the value, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I think if I was focused on, if I only did cold pitching. If I only did one thing, I think you can probably charge more, right? There are writers you have all about LinkedIn. So I can see the value of that. But since mine's more like an A to Z course, it's more general. That's how I feel. But I do know, I do know I'm underpricing. Everyone tells me that, but I'm fine with it. I'm really honestly fine with it. I think that's a testament to the value that they get out of your course is to say, you could be charging more for I this. I got so much that, like, that's huge. Thanks. Thanks. But you know, you are a great example of actually niching down pretty far because all of your niche sites, a few of them were in the parenting zone, but you still decided to section them off. Yeah, it's hard because Smart Mom Ideas is parenting based. And so is Imperfectly Perfect Mama. Those two sites are very similar, but you're right. I'm finding that it's a different audience for my IPM audience because it's guest posters. So it's those guest posters are bringing their audience to share their content. So it's a little bit different than my, my smart mom ideas, which is parenting. It's mostly pregnancy based content. So it's really much on natural labor and giving birth and your registry and things like that, setting up your nursery. So it's a little bit different than the IPM content, which is more of attachment parenting, more parenting content, but yeah, you can really niche down in, in, in your niche, whatever it is, you know, my twins, mommy, isn't really niched down, but it's niched in the demographic. You can niche the demographic. So the demographic for me are mom bloggers with small children. It works. My content works for those, for that audience, you know, but as my twins are getting older, I mean, if I'm still doing this when my twins are in high school, I mean, I'm going to probably write content about that. My twins in high school and how I'm doing this and whatever, if it, if it needs be, if I need to talk about that kind of thing, right. Things are going to change, but yeah, niching down is important. I just, this just, I just thought of something, but I'm following this other blogger who only does college content. Oh my gosh. 
and she's she's already making six figures. She's making way more because she she tapped into that demographic of those college people that want to decorate their dorm room and then decorate their first apartment. So she's grabbing them. It's all home decor stuff, but she's grabbing them as college students, getting their first home when they get married, when they have parents. She's like, I'm going to get them at every point of their life, you know, because she can, because she's built this following. So it's, it's kind of neat how you can change your demographic if you want to. But if you speak to one core audience, I think that's better than niching down necessarily your content. I, I do struggle with my Elna Kane because it's just all freelance writing. <laughs> that's all I do <laughs> is talk about freelance writing forever. And then my YouTube channel is all freelance writing. So I try to branch out a little bit. You know, I, I write about how to write a case study. I'll write about writing tips now. So I'm branching out a little bit, but I can't write about my life as a mom so much on that site or even branch out into something completely different. It's, it's, it wouldn't work for that audience. So I've really, really sort of carved my way into that, but it can be hard to come up with content ideas. I really have to sit and think about good content ideas. That's not just recycled over and over again. It's funny, the nutrition program I'm a part of, the woman who's the coach, she was originally the college nutritionist. Now she's the wedding nutritionist. So I see the progression she's making. And it's hilarious because I'm not a college student or getting married, but I still was very drawn to her content. She was doing a lot of really cool recipe reels and going hard on Pinterest. And I had been following her for quite some time with no intention of buying anything. But then when the time came and the winter weight started creeping up and I started panicking, I was like, who do I know in this space? And this is why I love content marketing, why I'm so passionate about it, because you might not, you know, be targeting people in the moment. They're not ready to buy at that moment, but when they do have that need, if they have been consuming your free content, they're going to go to your site. So for me, I had probably two people I was following on Instagram and YouTube who I knew did nutrition and I evaluated both their programs and I enrolled in this girl's program. And I'm like, she really got me. (laughs) That's so cool. And it's so true. You're right. I have men follow me on twins, mommy enrolling in my ready set blog for traffic course even though all my examples are for moms, all my examples that I show in the videos, but I get men following me there, which is, I find it interesting. Same here on my, on the cane site, it's all decked out in pink. All my images are all women, nothing about men, nothing, but all my, that's all I get tons of men. I don't know. But then on freelancer FAQs, that's more for everyone. I have lots of pictures of men. I have lots of pictures of different, um, people, um, young and old and all like, just because it's all for everyone. But it's just, I find it funny how on my site, I mean, I speak to everyone, I guess I speak from my story, but I think people, yeah, if they remember you and you have that content out, they'll remember you, which I think is interesting because it's the same with me. I, I follow only a couple of people because I've invested my time. I really don't have time to invest in people online, but when I do, I follow them. I'm on their email list. I listen to the podcast. Like I do all that stuff because I value their time. I value what they, they teach. Right. So true. Well, Alna, tell everyone where they can find you because I, like many people, am familiar with a few of your sites. I was on Freelancer FAQ, I was on Elna Kane. So what's the best place for people to find you and connect with you? Elnacane.com. Definitely. You can follow me on Instagram if you want at Elnacane. So go ahead and follow me there. I do some freelancing and just blogging tips too for bloggers. Would you tell us a little bit about your course? <laughs> you want to know? It's I do. Called, I do. <laughs> it's called write your way to your first one K and it's, it's a 
seven module course. I think there's over 60 lessons now. I just added, I keep adding more lessons, but it's basically a beginner course on becoming a freelancer, finding your specialization, building your writer platform is huge. My, my philosophy, I don't know if I really preach this in this podcast, but it really, when I said there's lots of methods to finding clients, but my overall brand and message um, messaging is um, lead generation. It's having clients come to you. So I have a big section in my course about how to do that. How do you get clients to come to your site? You're in a brand new and all that stuff. And then I have modules on pitching and, and finding clients, a lot of stuff there. And then I have a module on writing, how to write your, it's mostly blog writing. So I have content on how to write uh, SEO and blog writing and things like that and editing your work and finding images and submitting to your client. How do you do that? It's, it's a lot of logistics, but it's also lots of marketing. It's a marketing course, a writing course and developing that brand basically so that clients find you. Amazing. That's a lot. <laughs> well, they're learning from the best. So Alna, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation. I know that moms, caretakers, and people outside of the demographic are still going to get a lot of value from this. So thank you. Thank you so much. Do you want to start landing high paying freelance writing clients on LinkedIn? I have a free guide for you at paidcopywriter.com. Just go to paidcopywriter.com and go to the free download section. The link is paidcopywriter.com slash LinkedIn guide if that's easier for you, but it's a free download that's going to show you step-by-step step the steps. Wow, that's a lot of steps. Step-by-step step the steps. <laughs> Step-by-steps, a roadmap for how to use LinkedIn and get yourself properly set up on that platform so you can begin confidently reaching out to your ideal clients and build the freelance business that you've been wanting to build, becoming self-employed, becoming a person who gets paid to write for a living. Download that at paidcopywriter.com slash LinkedIn guide, and I look forward to seeing you there. Bye.